Hi, it's Phil Brown and I'm here with David Whelan and today we're going to talk about two-factor ID and open ID. Two-factor ID is something you're already familiar with if you use a bank card and an ATM. Two-factor requires you to have two things to present to authenticate yourself as being the owner of an account. And in the case of a bank, it's usually a card and a PIN. So you put the card in the machine, then you type the PIN into the machine, two factors authenticate you, and then you're ready to go. And if you don't have one of those uh, pieces, you can't go forward. And we're starting to see more and more two-factor authentication available on the web, uh, and it's making it safer in most cases uh, to protect your accounts if you can turn on two-factor authentication on your your online services. Right, and and one of the it's I mean the key the reason for it is because passwords alone won't protect you. Right. And after you put in your password uh, remotely uh, for your email system or uh, Dropbox, if you happen to be using that, it then comes back to you and says, okay, that's great. We're going to send you a number or you're going to have access to another number, which you're then going to have to put in, uh, and then we'll let you into that account. It gets you past the issue of do you have strong passwords or not. And and a lot of people still don't have strong passwords. They're using weak passwords. But even if you are using strong passwords and password managers and all that good stuff, uh, two-factor authentication gives you a little bit more protection in case either that password is divulged or discovered through a brute force attack or something along those lines. Or worse, what's happened to a number of people, uh, prominent journalists, um, where they were socially engineered, not the journalist or the person who owned the account themselves, but the people who work for the customer service for the particular web service. Someone calls in and says, you know what, I've lost my account, and they are able to answer enough questions based on information from the web that they're able to get past that that password block by itself. Two-factor authentication would then send out a request or a notification saying we need this extra piece of information and that uh, person wouldn't have it. Right. And a strong password being a password that has uh, lowercase and uppercase letters, numbers, symbols, spaces, things like that. That's right. No one from your family, no children's songs. No birth dates, <laughs> that sort of thing. And and even a strong password is, is uh, vulnerable potentially to a so-called brute force attack where someone is just basically plugged into your device or your system uh, and is letting a computer run all the permutations and combinations of passwords. Right. Two-factor authentication is still uh, optional in many places. It's, uh, I don't know any uh, sites that are actually requiring it that are typical consumer sites, um, but you'll see it that you can turn it on for Google and for Facebook and, and things like that. You can get a list of people who offer two-factor authentication at twostepoff.org. That's T-W-O-S-T-E-P. A-U-T-H dot org. And that will give you a list of who's got it and, and, and how they've implemented it. Right. And, and just as an example, a lot of things that lawyers and paralegals might use, uh, like Evernote, uh, LinkedIn, Dropbox, Facebook, things like that, uh, all have two-factor authentication. So how do you get two-step or two-factor authentication on the web? It's actually not that tricky, but it usually requires you to have a mobile phone. And what happens is that you will log in and then the mobile phone will receive a text with the second piece of information that you need to type in. Now, if you're a cheapskate like me and I don't have a, I don't have a really good cell phone plan or cell phone coverage, and sometimes you just aren't in a place where you've got that kind of coverage, uh, you can have that code generated for you by downloading an app when you're on the web. 
uh, and uh, downloading the app and then using it when you're offline. It will then generate the code that you need so that you can uh, plug that code in regardless of whether you've got cell phone access or, or, or in fact, your mobile phone with you. So if you lose your mobile phone, you're not lost completely. Exactly. You'll still be able to get into all of your accounts by either getting on the web or using one of these offline tools. Right. They're free. Uh, Google Authenticator works on uh, most platforms, but you can find uh, um, other ones. I think you use Authy, is it? Authy, yeah. And, and uh, they're even available, as David says, across platforms. You can use them, usually the same app for BlackBerry, uh, Android, uh, Apple, um, and, and they're quite versatile and very simple to use apps. I think the use of these sorts of authentications is the, is the next progression. We, we obviously had passwords in order to protect our accounts. Then we went to strong passwords, which were uh, now starting to be broken. I think the two-factor authentication is the next step, that if you are putting client files in the cloud um, or emailing them even and storing them in your online email, um, having two-factor authentication is a, a sensible extra precaution uh, that doesn't cost you anything except a, a couple of extra minutes maybe um, in, as you authenticate in and out of your accounts. And, and a number of these uh, authentications will uh, default to a paper list of codes as well. Uh, I know uh, Gmail gives you the option if you, once you sign into two-factor authentication, uh, it will generate a list of 10 codes that you can just fold and put in your wallet and use them anytime uh, if you don't have access to uh, your uh, app at the time or you don't have access to your phone at the time. You still have a paper backup list. You can use each one of these 10 codes once um, and able to use your two-factor authentication. That's a great because it's just uh, it's just like the bank idea. Then you've got this uh, this paper thing and the password in your head, and, and you put them together, and you get access to your account. Right. Social login is the other part of um, how you can manage your accounts online. Two factor authentication allows you to get in and out of your accounts, um, but sometimes you are going to a website that. You may not want to create a username and password for every website you go to. In part, that just means more passwords for you to manage and to be aware of. But also some of the sites you are using may not be as rigorous at protecting your information, your username and password, uh, as you would expect. And so one of the ways you can get around that is to use websites that use the social login, uh, often called Open ID, which is a version of the social login. And then what you do is instead of creating a username and password there, you reuse a secure and potentially a two-step or two-factor authentication service in order to get access to multiple websites. And OpenID has been around a long time, um, and people usually just kind of ignore it when it pops up. Um, you'll notice sometimes if you're signing into a website, it will say on the side, hey, do you want to sign in with your Google password or your Yahoo password? And that's an example of OpenID. It means that if you trust the person who or, or the company that has that social login or that OpenID um, to, to protect your username and password, it makes it a much easier process to then reuse it over multiple websites. And then, of course, if you want to, uh, when you grant access or sign in with that uh, username and password, typically it is logging that information in your original account. So say I log in with my Google.com account uh, into another website. When I go back to my Google.com account, it will show who I've authorized or who I've uh, got a login with, and I can terminate that access or terminate that connection uh, whenever I want to. Right. And OpenID is an open source based uh, software. Um, problems with that or no? Not really. Uh, so long as the, the provider who is providing the OpenID database is someone you would trust. 
Um, the fact that the so- software itself is open source isn't insecure. Uh, but if, I mean, I could open up uh, Dave's passwords and stuff and run my own OpenID server. Um, I don't know that I would uh, feel comfortable as a lawyer using someone who is so fly-by-night as you know, David's passwords and stuff. So I think if you're going to use OpenID, either use a provider like Google or someone uh, large, or uh, make sure you really understand um, who's behind the security for that OpenID account. Right, because everyone trusts Google. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I will say this. I mean, OpenID is huge. There's uh, There are over 50,000 sites, apparently, that use OpenID. Um it's something you stumble across every day, and, and it's almost invisible to most people. Right. The social login, I think, has is, is really changed how people use multiple websites. And I notice it really only um, when the social login only asks for, say, Facebook, and I'm not going to use my Facebook account to log in there. Um, so uh, I, I really only notice it when my social login isn't part of the, the list. Right. Uh, so that's our look at two-factor uh, ID, authentication, and uh, open ID. Thanks very much, David. Thanks, Phil.